to you. Psalm 146 this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them and get their attention. They'll give you a Bible tonight, not only to read along this evening, so you can not only hear the Word of God but read it, but if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you tonight. I thought it was cute. I started to listen to Pastor Rich Chafin's message on Sunday morning. He forgot his Bible. <laughs> Boy, when I see him next time, I'm going to tell you, I thought that was just great. A great sense of humor on his part as well. Well, the book of Psalms, we will conclude it tonight, even if it's tomorrow. But we will. No, I'm not. Some of you are saying, don't laugh at this man. But we do remember as we finish the psalm, the book of Psalms, the Jewish hymnal, and uh, we want to remember even as we began it and how each of these 150 songs written, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people of God who faced all the circumstances that we face in life, and yet they discovered no matter how High the mountaintop experience was in their life, there was a song to sing to God. What would happen if we experienced the mountaintop experiences that we get to experience as Christians and there was no song to sing to God at that mountaintop? And if you think most often of the song that we need in the valley, and probably we need the song in the valley even more, but the mountaintop experience is the mountaintop experience because of what we're able how we're able to commune with God in that place. And then, of course, in those valleys that we find ourselves in, able to see David in so many difficult circumstances, and yet to realize when he thought it was all over for his life, God was through with him, he was going to die, his enemies were going to kill him, he wouldn't survive the darkness of the hour, and yet God had a long, fruitful life and ministry life in front of David. But he needed a song from God to get through that valley. And I think it's a, a wonderful thing, and one of the things that happens in a worship service like we've just enjoyed in worshiping the Lord together corporately is that we're able to sing to the Lord and worship Him here in the moment, but then it isn't long before here, if you're a new Christian, you come into this environment, pretty soon you're picking up the songs and you're learning the songs, and then you're in, in your heart. And then when you've known the Lord for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, you have literally hundreds of songs that you have committed to memory or worshiped the Lord with uh, over the years that are tucked away in your heart. And so you hit the beginning of a day, sometimes in a deep valley or a difficulty, and God will bring a song to your heart. Sometimes you won't be in a valley. It'll just be going about your business, and you're on your way to work, or you're on your way to school, and you're singing this song. And you've got hundreds of songs in your heart. And here's a song from 1982 that if somebody asked you, if your life depended on it, if you could win $10 million by naming that song, you couldn't pull that up out of the Rolodex of songs in your heart. And yet God's got you whistling that song and singing that song in your heart. 
And one of the things, and it's a, it's a Holy Spirit thing. And there are times when we face things in our lives, of course, when we face difficulty or we face trials or uncertainty, and all of us face those things all of the time because we're not in heaven yet. But when we face those, of course, we have to meet spiritual warfare and all of these things with the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. But it's also significant that God doesn't waste all of these songs that are in our heart, too. And it's good to just stop and say, why in the world am I singing that song to you, Lord, at this moment in time? To save my life, I couldn't have remembered it. And you start to think about the song and what is it bringing out about the Lord, about his faithfulness, about his character, uh, about faith or whatever it might be. And then you realize, wow, Lord, I think I'm going to need to, to have a focus on this for the rest of the day. Whatever is coming my way today, thank you for giving me the song in advance. You think about how God has used worship songs and psalms and spiritual songs to take us not only with the Word of God, but through those worship songs, through the highs and lows of life, just as he did with God's people in the Old Testament. Now, in Psalm 146 through uh, Psalm 150, these psalms are known as the Hallelujah Psalms, the Praise the Lord Psalms, and that's what Hallelujah means. It means Praise the Lord. Sounds good, Hallelujah. And it sounds good to say, praise the Lord. I remember I had the privilege of traveling with Gail Irwin. We will, we'll get, we'll get done tonight. You just relax. So I traveled with Gail Irwin to Romania right after Ceausescu fell in that terrible dictatorship. And we were there at, uh, around Easter time or Resurrection Sunday time. And we were driving through the capital and all of the churches were more than full. They were crowded out to the steps, out into the street, all the way down the sidewalk. Atheism was broken and the, the nonsense and the farce that it is, uh, was exposed and people flocked to church. And we went into that church. And I couldn't understand anything that was going on in the church, except I was like that Norse man in the illustration uh, this morning that we talked about. I knew I was with God's people. I could sense the Spirit of God. I was with family. It was a wonderful experience. And then they began to sing uh, the Hallelujah Chorus, you know, there on that Easter Sunday. And, of course, everybody in the whole world, no matter what language we speak or we don't speak, we all recognize Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And so I was able to jump in with my understanding at that point in the service. And these final songs here are Hallelujah Psalms or Praise the Lord Psalms. And so the book of Psalms ends with praise. It ends with a great celebration uh, of God. And Psalm 146 has as its theme, happy is the man who has God for his help. Where would we be if we didn't have God as our help? Or we need him. And it, the crazy thing is you say, well, people are getting by out there without the Lord. Is there, are they? <laughs> are they? Think about the jails are f- full. You can't get into, you can't, re- the waiting line and the rehabs are how long? Uh, people just cracking under the pressure of life and the medications and all the different things that are going on. I'm not putting down a legitimate medication or anything, but people aren't doing very well because we were made for a relationship with God. And the Bible says that the Lord pities us. 
He has great compassion on us, as we spoke about this even recently on a Sunday night. The fact that he has great compassion on us because Jesus experienced the fallenness of this world and how hard it is as a child of God to walk so far from home in the fallenness of this world. And God knows, like even we don't know until it's right in front of our face, how much we need God to be our help. So here's a celebration of the fact that God is our help. Praise the Lord, the psalm begins, as each of them do. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So he exhorts himself now to praise. doesn't want to just be going through the worship service, kind of mumbling the songs out or just going through the rituals while he's thinking about everything that the week is going to hold. He wants to be fully engaged in praising the Lord. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And so he makes the commitment to praise the Lord all the days of his life. When we get to heaven... It's All it's going to be is praise. In hell, the eternal lake of fire, there'll be no praise at all. No praise, never. You'll never hear a, a person that sits in a church like this and ends up in eternal judgment will never hear a worship song, another worship song, for the rest of eternity. There isn't any. So in terms of eternity, the worship or the non-worship of the Lord, that's set. It's only right now where we kind of determine whether we're going to worship the Lord or not. And so this beautiful sacrifice of praise, it means so much to the Lord. And the the psalmist goes on and writes, Do not put your trust in princes. And he speaks against putting our trust in men, even the highest of men, powerful men, connected men, princes, as opposed to putting our trust in God, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and in that day his plans perish. And that's the problem with trying to find help in man, is the fact that uh, man is no stronger than we are. If a person does not have a victory over death, has not conquered death personally, and only Christ has conquered death personally and made that victory our victory, then when a man dies, all of his plans, all of his things that he was going to do, all of the ways that he was going to help you, all of them are gone in that moment that he dies. And so we don't want to put our our trust in man because man is... Transient. I mean, anything can happen on, on any given uh, day. But here, in contrast to the fragileness of man, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. I'm glad that we have the God of Jacob for our help, our help, and we do. God helps us, and he loves to be our help. You know why? Because he knows we need a lot of help. I don't care how strong we are, how smart we are, how rich we are, how whatever we are in life, sooner or later we face things in life that are bigger than our resources and bigger than everybody else's resources. Only God is bigger than the need that we're facing. And so we're happy at that point in time, always happy, but especially realizing it at that moment that we have the God of Jacob for our help, whose hope, that is hope for help, is in the Lord his God. Think about how many times we find ourselves in a difficult place that we're in. No matter how bad the trial gets, no matter how dark the trial gets, 
we realize that we're not in this alone. We are in this with God. God is with us to help us, and he will help us. And so the blessing of recognizing this, that the happiness that's found in having God as our help. And then here is how God is able to help us. He made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. I haven't made anything but a mess all my life. I haven't made a single sea urchin in my whole life. I can't even find them when I go to the beach to try and... God made everything. I can't make anything out of nothing. I make things into nothing. And here is God able to do this, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. In other words, he's unfailingly faithful, who executes justice to the oppressed, for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to prisoners. In other words, this God that we turn to for help, he loves to help. We have to get him in a headlock, put him in a headlock, put one of his promises to his head and say, listen, you promised to help. He loves to help. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind and raises those who are bowed down, that is, those that are under the weight of the whole world. This is what he does. This is what he loves to do. And if you're in that place tonight, this is what he loves, would love to do in your life and will do. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over strangers, that is, those that are friendless. And that's a nice thing to realize, that if we were the only Christian in the whole wide world, and there wasn't even one more other Christian in the whole world, and we were absolutely friendless because of our relationship with God, that God would be a greater friend to us in that situation than a million friends that we would have in our lives, but not having him as a friend. He watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. That is the most powerless in life. And again, he loves to do it. By the way of the wicked, he tur- but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. And so the Lord never dies. What he is and has been to us, he will always, always be to us. And uh, so beautiful, beautiful psalm that uh, speaks of the privilege that is ours to be able to trust in the Lord. There is no rest in this world apart from trusting in the Lord because the object of our rest or our peace must always be larger than that which would rob us of our peace. And only God is bigger than all of that. And every week and every month and every year in this world, as things get more and more difficult, like God said that they would prior to Jesus' return, uh, the more and more we realize, and it's a good thing that happens in our life, Lord, the only place of security, the only place of true trust is, is found in you and not in man. I wish that I could, became a Christian and I could read Psalm 146 and having read it, just look at it and say, well, there we are. I'll never trust in man for anything else or in myself for anything else. I'll just trust in God. It's so logical and it's so obvious. But isn't it funny how God has to take us just, you know, they've got the bumper sticker that talks about, um, you know, you can take my guns, you know, from my cold, dead fingers and some, you know, you and I'm kind of visual, so I just picture it right there, and you've got to peel those fingers back. Nice gun, lousy. I hate doing this, but worth it to get the gun. But 
But sometimes it's like that, you know, in kind of claiming the promises of God and moving from a dependence upon man. It isn't like we just jump eagerly. It's almost like God has to just pry us away at one situation at a time, one trial at a time, to open up our eyes to realize that only He is worthy of our trust and that men will always fail us, even if they don't want to fail us. They will fall, they will fall short of our need, and only God can meet that need. In Psalm 147, we have a psalm praising the Lord for being the God who restores us after we fail. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever failed in your Christian life and needed restoration, but there's a lot of other churches in town that are filled with Christians that are like that. They fail all the time. It's like they have to pray every day, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm so glad that I'm not like those other sinners. No, we all recognize the need for restoration, don't we? And we're glad that God's a restoring God. And I never have to wonder, and I hope you don't wonder it, when we do fail and even when we fail big time, like the children of Israel really failed big time, and that's what Psalm 147 is about, that I don't have to be hesitant to turn back to God and have the confidence that, yes, Lord, that is a big mess that I made, and I am very, very sorry for that. But I don't have to wonder whether you're a God who restores, because in the volume of the book from Genesis to Revelation, we have a God presented to us that restores his people as we turn back to him. And so we find out really from verses 2 through 6, which we'll get to in a moment, that this psalm seems to have come out of following the failure of the children of Israel, their rebellion against God, their idolatry. They went into the Babylonian captivity. As a result of that, there were consequences related to their sin. But then here is this song that celebrates the fact that when they did repent, God was there to restore them back into relationship with him and then ultimately to restore them back into the land. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It was good to do that tonight, wasn't it? For it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. So what we've just done in worshiping the Lord in song, it's good, it's pleasant, it's beautiful. And it always is. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And so here is Israel coming back into the land, following their failure, and God coming in and restoring them, healing them, binding up their wounds. He counts the number of uh, the stars. And so the Lord, he knows the number of stars that are out there. It's kind of like counting sheep. If you ever go camping or something and you start to count them, you get some, depending on your age, you get a certain distance and then you just go clunk and you fall. Oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> but he's, he numbers the stars. He knows how many there are. And you think, wow, okay, that you can't outwow that. Yes, he does it. And verse 4 continues. He calls them all by name. He knows. He's got a name for all of them. We put names on them. We'll find out what the real names are someday. But he calls them all by name. And if he knows the names of the stars, who he doesn't have a personal relationship with, the idea is that he knows our names as well. He knows about each and every one of us, and he cares about us. Great is the Lord, and might is the Lord, and mighty in his power. His understanding is infinite. Praise the Lord. The, he, the Lord lifts up the humble, and he casts the wicked down to the ground. And then as he continues 
uh, in the psalm here is just the, continuing to praise uh, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our Lord who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains and gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. And so here is a praise to the Lord as creator. You think about the whole cycle that's described here of the the weather cycle, the rain cycle, and how, you know, the water hits the earth and then the grain comes up and then it feeds the raven and then it feeds the cattle and then it ends up on our plate and, and all the way around. And the marvel of the complexity of the cycles that make up the earth. And here is God who is concerned even to feed uh, the, the uh, young ravens that cry out. And the idea is, again, that he has an even greater heart for us. And Jesus, of course, spoke about that. Why do we worry about all of the things that we're prone to worry about as Christians when God takes care of the birds of the air? He feeds them. You never see a bird worrying. It never has his wing up like this. And he's just walking back and forth, you know, pacing in the pen. They have a very carefree life. It's a very, I mean, relaxed life as you watch them in terms of how the whole thing has been put in place for God to, for them in order for them to be sustained unless hunters are around. I saw Don in the back and that reminded me of um, things. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He, do, he takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. And so talking about the strength of man and the strength of uh, the animals, here's what the Lord does take pleasure in. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, respect him, and the idea is respect him enough to obey him, in whose hope is in those who hope in his mercy. And the Lord takes pleasure in that person. Faith is so powerful. I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be until we get into heaven we realize what God has, has bound up and, and tied to faith and what it means to his heart. When we take his promises of his word and we stand on his word and we say, Lord, I believe this about you, this is what you said, and I'm going to honor you with my faith, that really blesses the Lord in the same way that a child it blesses the heart of their earthly father with that kind of faith. That earthly father, if he's any good, he will, he will give his life not to disappoint that child who has put their faith and trust in him. And the Lord, of course, is infinite, and he's greater in love than any human father can ever be, and it blesses the Lord. Our faith blesses him, and it really opens up a lot of things uh, to us. And the Lord not only blesses him, but he then loves to, to bless those. As we put our faith in him, he notices it, and he rewards it, is what the psalmist is saying. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. And so speaking of his provision for us in our lives and, and his protection in our lives. And, so, and why do we sit here tonight as his children except 
that he has been faithful to provide for us, and he's been faithful to um, protect us. And what he's always been, he will always be. And then he picks it up in verse 15, praising the Lord uh, for the power of his uh, word and nature. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out all his hail like morsels. Uh, this is better language than the newscasters do on television. They say, well, here it's coming out and it'll be all right. <laughs> This is, this is, this is how to do a weather report right here. And who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and then he melts the cold and melts the snow. He causes the wind to blow and the waters flow and the whole cycle continues. He declares his word to Jacob and so the final praise of this psalm to the Lord is that we have his word. So we're thankful for his power. We're thankful for, um, every, him as creator. But we're thankful um, in a greater measure for the fact that he has given us his word because his word is the greatest revelation that we have of him. It tells us how to have a relationship with him. And so he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. What in the world would we do if we did not have the Word of God uh, to turn to in this life? And uh, thankfully, uh, we do. And this psalm is a beautiful psalm, 147, of just counting our blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one as the old spiritual song goes. And so the psalmist does here, and his heart is filled with praise as he does. Psalm 148, is a psalm calling on all of creation to praise the Lord. Psalm 148 is pure praise. The psalmist doesn't ask one thing of God. There's not a single petition or supplication in it. It's just 100% pure praise. Praise the Lord. And now he calls on, at the beginning of the psalm, calls on all of the heavens uh, to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts, speaking of the stars. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. And so all of creation called on to become a great choir, praising the Lord. It be interesting one day, I don't know, um, it, it, it would be interesting to, if there was... If we'll ever be exposed to all of the sounds of nature, united all together at once, I'll tell you, I, I'd love to just hear it for 30 seconds. I don't know that it will. But you take the sound of the wind blowing through a tree, and then you take the sound of a wave crashing on the seashore. Then you take the sound of one of those frogs that gets those big old things and then makes those kind of crazy sounds and all of that. If you take all of the sounds of God's creation and put them all together, what would it sound like? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure that it would be chaotic. I, I 
I have a hunch that it would be decent and in order and would be absolutely beautiful to listen to. And so the psalmist is calling on all of creation to join this choir and praise the Lord. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not uh, pass away. And so the reason for praising the Lord is his, uh, his uh, faithfulness. And to us, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures. So now he moves now to the animals, to calling on all of the earth to join all of the heavens in the praise of the Lord. You great sea creatures. And sometimes they'll put those microphones out. Well, they don't really put them out, but somehow they, they'll, they'll um, tape those like whales making all of those sounds or dolphins or porpoises and all of those kind of things. And it's, it's its own beauty. You know, you got your... You got your base, those whales. It's just kind of this thing, kind of a talk about a low end. That sound just goes out. Listen, it's, I've, I'm not building a case for it. I'm just saying it's it's something, and you'll see. And I'll try and be humble when it happens. Say, <laughs> boy, he was he thought that might happen, and it did. I'll have a button. You heard it here first. No. Then the first thing they'll do in heaven is take it away from me. (laughs) Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all the hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. All of them have a voice. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, uh, old men and children. And so a call of all that is on the earth to praise the Lord. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And four, and here's a reason word, for his name alone is exalted. There's no one like him. His name represents his nature. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He has exalted the horn of the power of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, of people near to him. Praise the Lord, and so this beautiful call uh, to praise the Lord. Not, uh, not only again, not only because He's created us, and, but in these last two verses, speaking of the fact that He's created us, but then in our fallenness, He's brought us into relationship with Him. And then Psalm 149 is a call for God's people to rejoice in our God. Praise the Lord. So again, it begins with Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song. And why is it important to sing to the Lord all of the old songs that we know and we remember? But to sing to the Lord a new song is because He's always doing something new in us. And so we need a new song to express that worship to the Lord. And I'm so thankful for worship leaders in the body of Christ that the Lord just touches and He gives these songs. Where would we be without that gift that God has given to these men and women to uh, write these worship songs and then we listen to them for something we could never put together. and But it, it absolutely expresses our heart that we want to sing to the Lord and it's a new song. And I've been walking with the Lord since 1980 and um, uh, and 
Always there's been the new song, the new song, the new song, the new song. The Lord just keeps them coming. And the right song for right time in human history. And so the beauty of the new song, we give praise that the Lord supplies us with a new song through his servants. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in her maker. And so we're talking now here about public praise. It should be joyful. It should be rejoicing unto the Lord. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king and let them uh, praise him with the dance. And so, uh, so we see moving not only from the voice but also into the dance. Um, we'd, we'd like to know if you can dance first, though. But here's a, a case, though, where you travel around the world and um, where people are entering into the worship of the Lord and they can find a, a place where they're worshiping the Lord and, again, what is coming out of their mouth isn't enough to express their heart. So they'll start to engage their their bodies in it. Sometimes you'll see in the, maybe a church that has a great choir, and you'll see them, they'll start to sing all of the, the, the great worship song that's going on, and it begins and it begins, and then pretty soon just like a whole, you know, forest, they're going back and forth. They cannot sing those songs without engaging their whole body. We talk about the Jews at the Western Wall who just go like this. They're loving God with all of their heart, all of their mind, all their soul, all of their strength physically. And so the same thing can happen to us as well. And so sometimes you see this great choir and it's going back and forth like this. And then there's one guy just standing like this. He's from Scotland. He's a Scot. And um, doesn't have an ounce of rhythm in him, but he's having the time of his life being in the middle of all of that. He's just like the plumb line. You just go like that. And that's all. Yeah. No, no movement to the left or the right. I thought the whole building was moving, but the Scot isn't. He's okay. We're okay in here. It's not an earthquake. And you go around the world and you see this kind of thing done, and it can be done in a way. Sometimes people do things carnally, and it draws attention to themselves and away from the Lord, and, and where you're going to kind of say, all right, every service here, you've got the banners, and we're going to do a Jericho march and all this kind of stuff that gets orchestrated. And that's not really how the Spirit works. But there is that beautiful thing, and some of you know you wouldn't do it in church, and we might even prefer that you don't. Um, but uh, in the privacy of your own home or your own car or whatever. Sometimes I'm driving down the road and some of Tony's driving, and, man, they are uh, they're at Oracle Arena or something, whoever they're listening to, and they are the lead singer of that band, you know. And so I like to follow people like that for a while, and if it takes me out of the way and everything, just enjoying them, enjoying themselves. But... But, you know, the same thing related to the Lord, and there's that freedom to do that. And here's this, here, here are people being lost 100% in a beautiful way in the Lord. And let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and with the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He loves uh, all of that worship, and he will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory, and let them sing aloud on their beds. And so these, this is for the Scots again. They, this is private worship. They just sing on their bed just like this. If, you, if you're a Scot and you have rhythm, God bless you. There's a little Irish in there somewhere. You've got a little... F- Got a little French in there, and you don't know it. You're not 100% Scottish. Um, so 
they can do it, sing aloud on their beds. And so there's a place for public worship. Private worship means just as much to the Lord and is just as great a blessing to us. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and judgments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment, this honor have all his saints praise the Lord. And so it's interesting you see a praise the Lord psalm that ends with a praise of God's judgment. And it's speaking about the fact that one day we as as Christians, we will return with Jesus at, at his second coming. And, and when Jesus comes back at his second coming into this world, he is going to come as a judge into this world. The Antichrist, the world itself, will have martyred. Um, it tells us in Revelation the number is without number, the number of Christians who... Um, be, men and women who become Christians after the rapture of the church... They are martyred for their faith in Christ because that's the price that will be paid during that horrible time known as the, the Great Tribulation. So there will be blood on the hands of the whole world at that time. We will come back with Jesus. Jesus will execute judgment upon the guiltiness of this world, and we will praise him and we will rejoice uh, in his judgment in bringing the rebellion of man against God to an end, and the terrible price that people pay because of that, uh, that rebellion and being led in it. And then it closes with praise the Lord. And then Psalm 150, beautiful psalm, that again, praise the Lord, just one final blast of pure praise. Praise the Lord. And so that's who we are to praise, the Lord, capital O, capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, talking about Yahweh, Jehovah, talking about the self-existent one as, G, as the Lord spoke to Moses, I am who I am, and the one who inhabits the past, the present, the future, all at the same time. There is no time for him. This is who we worship. Praise the Lord. Praise him in the sanctuary, so where he is to be praised, here on the earth. Praise him in the mighty um, firmament, so everywhere in heaven and in earth, the psalmist is saying, the Lord deserves uh, our worship and deserves our praise. Praise him for his mighty acts, what he's done for us. Has he done something great for you recently? or not so recently, he deserves praise for that. Praise him according to his excellent uh, greatness. Praise him then how he is to be praised. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. I want some of you to notice that word loud. Right there. You got your not loud symbols and then you got your loud symbols. And I'm not saying that once in a while we don't get the volume up a little too loud in this room. But um, when we come together to worship the Lord, we're not coming to a funeral. 
We're coming to worship a true and living God. And, uh, and, and, he, and he begins to talk about all of these instruments. He names eight different instruments here that are to be used in the worship and the praise uh, of the Lord. And you can, if you put all of them together and you say, okay, you got the trumpet, you got the lute, the harp, the timbrel, the dance, you've got the stringed instruments, you've got the flutes, you've got the loud cymbals, and then, oh, no, if you had trouble with loud cymbals, praise him with the clashing cymbals. I don't want to know what the clashing cymbals are. I got the tinnitus, somebody says, and I get a clap. I don't know what would happen. I'd go home and I'd, I'd hear the ringing until six in the morning on that. But here's you, the idea is you're in the middle of an environment where everybody's got every instrument playing it skillfully to the Lord and worshiping Him. You've got a Holy Ghost hoedown going on in Psalm 150. It's a hootenanny. You got a hootenanny going on. You could just as easily say if you're in the south, break out the washboard and the spoons. If you're kind of in Louisiana, whatever, anything that makes noise, go ahead and play that unto the Lord because he's deserving of all of it. You know, there's a part of the body of Christ that they don't believe in instruments in the church, musical instruments. And uh, so they're kind of down on uh, what we do and probably what most Christians do because there's at least a piano or an organ or something like that. And so they, they say that not to do that, and uh, they, they, it's against their beliefs. And so you'll never hear an instrument in those churches. And I always kind of wonder, you know, what, what's going on with Psalm 150 here? I mean, if they're worshiping the Lord under the old covenant in this kind of a way, why wouldn't we worship the Lord with everything that we have and more in the new covenant, a greater uh, covenant, and sometimes I, I just I think sometimes people think I'm more conservative in worship than I really am. Sometimes I just look and I, I, I watch our worship team and I just look at the lead guitarist and I just say, man, I wish he just would head into a, a, a Amazing grace solo just ripped this place apart for five minutes. You know, like Jimi Hendrix did with a Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock? And he just goes in, just takes over this whole thing, and you just go, and everybody's just going. You know, they wake up, you know, where am I? What happened to me here? I I wish... I wish I could play the piano, and I wish I could play the electric guitar. I can't play either. I have zero aptitude. I took guitar lessons for I don't know how many years as a kid and all. Bing, 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 bing. Zero skill at it. But I have a great appreciation for it. Man, if I could play the guitar, I could play the drums, I could play the piano, be good to just let her rip. So I think if I could really do that, this is all my dreams here tonight. I think. I think it'd be great to take like make an album called Genesis and have somebody that's really artistic, filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, but really has the ability to do that, and then put the book of Genesis to music. I mean, the creation. Think about what a person might come up with, and then the song of Joseph at the end of it, or whatever it might be. Then move on to Exodus or whatever. It'd be great to just put it in, you know, the player and drive and just listen to somebody's musical interpretation of the books of the Bible. 
And so this beautiful praise that is being lifted up uh, to the Lord here and everything is kind of all restrictions are put out and, and there's just such a thankfulness to the Lord, so much praise to the Lord, and then hear this desire now to worship him in, in, uh, in this way. And so this beautiful, once again, this book of Psalms, such a beautiful, uh, beautiful book of Psalms. And we thought that it might be nice as kind of a fitting end to the book of Psalms to have the worship team come up and lead us in a little kind of a little extended worship period and uh, lead us in all of some of the worship songs uh, and the whole set is going to be made up of worship songs that we've sung through the years that all come out of the book of Psalms. And so just to be able to worship the Lord. And then we'll enjoy, enjoy some refreshment out in the fellowship hall afterwards. But let's not just know. And here at Psalm 150, the idea is don't just know all this stuff. Do it. That's the idea of Psalm 150. And so we want to know all this stuff, but now we want to do it. And so if the worship team will come forward and lead us in worship.